Lovely. Well, I, I want to chat this morning, if I may, um, and even if I'm not, I'm going to anyway. Um, I'm going to talk this morning and, 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 and hopefully bring our series in uh, 1 Samuel to a close. Um, and I get the joy of bringing 1 Samuel 15 to you this morning. And uh, we're going to look at the fall of King Saul. It's kind of the beginning of the end. We've heard over the last few weeks um, from, from chapter 13 and chapter 14, and now we're going to look at chapter 15. And these, these last couple of chapters, we, we begin to, we've started to see the cracks appear in King Saul. And, and this morning, we're really going to look at and, and dive into some, some deeper cracks. Um, but before we do this, I want to share a story with you, because I think it's always good to share stories. Um, it's always good to give you a story where maybe you get the opportunity to laugh at me. I think it makes everybody comfortable. I'm okay with that. Hopefully you're okay with that. And this is a, 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 hopefully a bit of an illustration of maybe a point that I'm trying to make this morning as well. Um, it's maybe a poor illustration and a cheap illustration, but it is a tenuous link nonetheless. My, uh, my pastor that I grew up with back in Burnley, she could make any game that she played with the youth into some tenuous link for the message. And so I'm going to try and, try and do the same this morning. So about a year ago, we got ourselves a new puppy. Just over, well, probably coming up to about a year now. She's called Missy. She's a black Labrador. And maybe I'm biased, but she is the cutest dog in the world. Um, we do have two other dogs that live with us as well. Sorry, Anne. Sorry, Tilly Lucy. They won't be listening anyway, it's fine. I know, I know, yeah. Um, but, but Missy is a special dog. She, she's, she's more like a human than she is like a dog. She, she's really, really obedient, more obedient than my child, which, to be fair, is a low bar. Um, she's a really, really special dog. She, she, she just wants to be good. She just wants to listen. She just wants to do as she's told. And those that have met her, they will agree. They're like, yeah, she's, she's, really, she's really cute. She's really nice. You wouldn't think, even, even now, she's, she's just over one years old, you would never think that she was still a pup. She's really calm. She's really settled. She just listens to everything you, you say. We, t- we take her out into pubs, and people don't even, you know, in our spare time, drinking all the time, um, people don't even recognize that she's like, oh, you've got a dog. I didn't even know you had a dog there. That's how well she, well behaved she is. But not long after we got her, Jem got this posh bone thing from, I think it was Booth, so that's why you know it's posh. Um, and she brought it home, and, and she didn't really pay much attention to it at first. And then as she got a little bit bigger, and I'm guessing her adult teeth developed, she decided that this was going to be her toy that she was just going to throw around all over the place and chew instead of chewing the furniture, which was really lovely. And this thing was well-chewed, and it was like, you know, all sharp and dangerous. And, and so she would love to bring it into the middle of the floor or put it on the couch just to annoy Gemma. Um, and we would always be moving it back to her crate or back to her bed. And um, she, she would just keep, keep bringing it out. And every time we saw it, we would, we would, we would, we would put it away. And um, she, she was great. She would sleep in a crate in the evening. She would go into her crate, lovely, no problems at all. I wouldn't even need to tell her to go into the crate. I'd just open the crate door and she would walk in. She's really, really good. She gives great hugs. If anybody's in need of a good hug, Missy's a good hugger. She both paws on the, her shoulders. She's good. Um, so one evening, I'm, I'm, Jem's putting Ezra to bed, and I'm doing the clear-up downstairs, which is unusual to begin with. Um, I'm putting, putting the dishes away and loading the dishwasher. And um, I think I finished in the room. I give the room one last sweep, the dining room one last sweep, and I spot the bone right there in the middle of the floor. And I'm at the light switch in the doorway, and I see the bone over there. No one's coming in here. I turn the light out and, and off I go and sit down and start watching TV. 
And uh, bedtime comes, I let Missy out of the back door, she goes out, goes to the toilet, I let her back in and she wanders straight into her crate. By this stage, I'd already done the nighttime routine of going around, turning all the lights out, making sure all the doors are locked. And so I go into the dining room to, to, to close Mrs. Mrs. Cage and I confidently stride across the dimly lit room. I think you can see where this is going, can't you? And what do I step on? Of course, I step on Mrs. Bone. Now, if you've ever stepped on Lego, you'll know this feeling. This is a little bit worse. It's like jagging. It's all got her teeth punctures in it and stuff. But the bigger problem is I'm in the room below Ezra's Ezra's bedroom. So I can't actually yelp in pain. I'm like, and I drop to the floor and pretend that I've been shot. And you you know the rest. And for the next week, week or so, I'm walking around because the bottom of my foot is black and blue with bruises. Like that's how, it's, it's a fairly chunky bone. And so I'm, I'm limping around all over the place. And, and, and the problem was that I'd seen the problem and I'd not dealt with it. Because I'd not dealt with the problem, it came back to cause me more pain. And I wonder this morning in our own lives, you can see this tenuous link going on now. I wonder this morning in our own lives, if, if we have things if we have stuff in our lives that we've just not dealt with, and rather than dealing with it, we'll either bury our head in the sand, or we'll sweep it under the rug, or we'll pretend it's not there, or we'll put it in some imaginary cupboard in our minds and not deal with it. And it has the potential to come back and cause us more pain, cause us more problems, and cause us more hurt than if we just dealt with it in the first place. And King Saul is a perfect representation of this. King Saul knew all about this in his own life. He was a man chosen and anointed by God to carry out the leadership of God's people. We've heard over the last few weeks the story of how he was chosen. The Israelites had demanded a king. And a king is what they received. With all of his pomp and all of his bravery, but with all of his problems as well. Saul was in some ways, on the outside, the ideal candidate for a king. He was tall, he was handsome, he was strong, he was well built, he was well put together. But less about the comparisons between me and Saul and let's stick to scripture. He was a fierce warrior. He was everything that you would want in a king. If you were to handpick somebody and go, this is who I need as my king. He was the perfect man. But for all of his outwardly characteristics that would make him a wonderful king, he had some pretty deep personality flaws that brought about his downfall. He was dishonest. He lacked integrity. And he was deeply prideful. And that's what I want to look at a little bit this morning is his pride. And I believe in the verses from 1 Samuel 15, as we begin to read them in a moment, we will see... Three different types of pride that we come across in King Saul that that we saw when we first met Saul, but we noticed he never, ever dealt with. Now, before I read scripture, let me just pray, um, and then we will dive into 1 Samuel 15, and we will go from verse 1. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we get the opportunity to gather together as your family, that we get to come and sit under your word. Father, I pray that you would give us open ears, open hearts to listen and to hear and to receive all that you have for us. Father, I don't know what our week has looked like, 
But I know that any problems that we face, any difficulties that we have, any challenges that we are going through, I know that by the power of your spirit and the truth of your word, you can give us the strength to overcome these things. So I pray this morning that you would give us something new, give us something fresh. Father, give us something to cling to this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So verse one, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites. Totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telem, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away and leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you show kindness to all of the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Hivalar to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat of the calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed." just going to pause there and take a look at this first type of pride that I want to look at. And I think maybe this is something that lots of us in the room this morning might actually suffer from. And maybe you're already sat there going, doubt it, not me, not my problem. But this is the pride of control. We can see that he's given very clear instructions, isn't it? Go and destroy everything. Men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, calves, everything. Destroy it all. Very, very clear instructions. But what do we also see? We see that he decides to listen to some of it, but ignore some of it. Pride says, I want to do it my way. That I know what's best in this situation. And I think I know what to do. And so I'll carry it out how I think it should be done. Pride is all about me, me, me. We know this already, don't we? Whether we choose to fully ignore God and what we feel he's told us to do, or like Saul, we only listen to half of what he's told us to do, we're still disobeying God. We're not fully submitting ourselves to him. We're saying, you can come into my life, And maybe you can have a a seat at the table, but you're not at the head. You can come into the throne room, but I'm the one that's still on the throne. Our pride is the one that's still in control, not God. John 14 verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. He doesn't say, if you love me, you can pick and choose what you decide to do. If you love me... You can make it up and, and, and we'll be okay. 
He says, if you love me, listen to me. If you love me, watch what I do and you do it. If you love me, keep my commands. 1 Peter 1 verse 14 also says, As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you have had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, put down the pride. Put down the ignorance. Put down the desires of self. And pick up that that Jesus is asking us to pick up. Take captive the thoughts that tell us we're in control. Make them obedient to Christ. Make them obedient to him. Don't just carry on doing the things that you want to do. But actually listen to what I'm asking you to do. Let's keep reading. Let's jump to verse 12. In First Samuel 15. It says, early in the morning, Samuel got up, went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. The second type of pride that I want to look at this morning is the pride of self-recognition. This is sometimes subtle in our lives. Not always easy to recognize, not always easy to put a finger on. But on this particular occasion, I think with King Saul, it is fairly obvious. After the battle is won, what does he do? As a good king, what should he do? Maybe go and check on the men, see how they're doing. Maybe go and offer up something to God as praise for the victory. Maybe take account of the men that... that that they've lost. Maybe let the men go back to their families, back to their homes. No, he does none of those things. He sets up a monument for himself. I'm not sure about you, but if I heard that someone was setting up a monument for themselves, alarm bells would be ringing. After our busy Christmas period, if we had wonderful successful outreaches we went and and did some wonderful things um, into the community and that next Sunday Christy comes into church and he sets up an altar for himself down here at the front I think a few of us would have some things to say about that wouldn't we I hope pride says look what I have done look what I have achieved Look at all that I have accomplished. Look at the victories that I have won. It takes into account nothing to do with God. And again, let's look at what Jesus says about this in Matthew 6, verse 1. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Having a sense of achievement is fine and it's a good thing to do. But we need to be careful that this doesn't cross into pride. It's funny, we were, we were talking about this this week in our, um, our training with some of the volunteers. We were talking about how do we take praise well. If we've done something well in God's kingdom, how do we take praise well? And Brian, who, who was doing the training with us, the managing director at Cape and Ray, he said, think of it like having a mirror. And, and, and instead of either holding it like that, and so we're throwing something back, 
or holding it the other way, and so we're, we're reflecting it back to ourselves. Actually, we'll, we'll point it at a bit of an angle. And so when things come, we're bouncing it upwards, and we're not bouncing it inwards. We're giving God the glory for the things that we've done. We're giving him the praise for the things that we've done. He chooses to partner with us. He doesn't have to. He chooses to. God alone is the one who claims the victories. Whether big or small. If we've overcome something massive in our lives or if, we, if we're just struggling to go through the day. It doesn't matter what it is. He's the one that claims the victories. And I think if we're the one trying to take the credit for any of that, we're on very rocky ground. Like I said a moment ago, this can be subtle in our lives. But I think it's something we need to be very aware of. And something we need to be on guard of. We already know, don't we, that the devil prowls around looking for an opportunity. And sadly, far too often we give him those opportunities too easily. We're setting up monuments in our own lives and in our own hearts and in our own heads that are false. So when we come to face the next challenge or when we come to face the next difficult season or the next difficulty, we think it's us that's going to claw our way out of the situation. We think it's us that's going to gain the victory. And all that does is sets us up for failure. Yet when we lean on him, when we give credit to him, we know that the next season of difficulty we face, we can trust in him again. It's him that overcomes the situations. Let's continue to read and look at our final pride this morning. Verse 24 and 25 we're going to look at finally. It says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. And again, this looks like he's being repentant. This looks like he's, he's saying sorry for the things that he's done wrong, that he's showing real repentance. But actually, he's not. There is a, an ulterior motive here. There is an underlying thing that's going on. And so instead of actually repenting and actually being sorry for what he's done, he's just trying to manipulate Samuel to get his own way. But this isn't the pride that I want to look at. The pride from these verses that I want to pick out is the pride of popularity. Saul didn't want to say no to his men. He wanted to be the man that was liked. He wanted to be the man that made decisions that pleased everybody. And if we continue to read 1 Samuel after chapter 15, we will see that this particular pride manifests itself again in really ugly ways in later chapters. Especially when David comes along. 
Pride says, if I make this allowance against my beliefs or against the things that I know to be true, then people will like me. If I make this small allowance against the truth, or if I let this slip, or if I just let that small thing slide, I'll become popular. People will like me, and so people will follow me. He chose to take the easy option over doing what was asked of him, over doing the right thing. He didn't want to say no to his men. And in some small way, I can sort of understand this fear, particularly for Saul, particularly for a king. If a king doesn't have his men, then who does he have? Or what does he have? What we've seen over the last few chapters is that rather than looking to God for the, the answers to all of their problems, and rather to looking, than looking to God for the answer... They're looking at other nations, aren't they? They're looking around going, well, well, they've got a king and look how strong they are. And they've got a king over there and look how strong they are. And the kings work well because they have these vast armies that, that do as they're told, that follow the king. And so Saul is maybe looking at this situation going, well, I need to keep my army on board. And so I need to, to not say no to them all the time. I need to give them some of the things that they want. But what we need to be doing is looking to God. We can stay right here in 1 Samuel to see what scripture says about this particular disobedience. And in fact, if we go backwards a couple of verses to verse 22, it says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. This is God saying, I don't want you to try. I don't want you to work. I just want you to obey. I just want you to listen to what I've asked you to do, and obey what I've asked you to do. The desire to be popular is more than merely wanting others to think well of our character. As a Christian, we should desire to have a good testimony to those around us. We should desire to have a good character to those around us. But when we focus on popularity, when we focus on on being the cool guy or being the, the funny person or being the fun one, Rather than focusing on what's true and what's right, it crosses over into something else, doesn't it? To put other people's opinions over obedience to the Lord is putting the world before God. And Jesus speaks right into this in John 16. Verse 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We don't need to worry about the world. We need to, be, we need to worry about whether we are being obedient to God. 
And so those are the three prides. The pride of control, the pride of self-recognition and the pride of popularity. And maybe you sat there and you uncomfortably aligned with some of these things. Or maybe you're sat there thinking, "Ah, I don't really struggle with any of those things. But maybe there's something else in your life. Maybe there's resentment. Maybe there's bitterness. Maybe there's unforgiveness. Maybe there's misery. Maybe there's something else in your life that you've just not dealt with. King Saul was deeply prideful. He was deeply flawed. And he never dealt with these things in his own life. He allowed his pride to rule his life. And this is what brings about his own demise. He was unwilling to fully submit to God because of his own pride, because of his own ego, because he didn't want to step out of the throne and allow God to sit in it. He wanted very much to stay in his throne. And this caused the Lord to turn away from him. And if we continue to read, we see in his darkness and in his isolation, Saul ended up taking his own life. After watching his people be defeated through his own silly decisions. And then watching his sons die before him. Thankfully, we no longer live in the Old Testament. We don't live by the Old Covenant anymore. We have the joy of Jesus. And we live after Pentecost. And we stand on the promise that we now have an advocate who will never leave us. And who will speak on our behalf. If we've accepted Jesus as our saviour, if we've asked him into our hearts, then we have the promise that we're given the Holy Spirit to help us walk this journey. And so this isn't about what we can do. This isn't about the works that we have. But it's about the trust that we put in Jesus to live through us and to live in us. But we're also given a community around us, aren't we? We have people in our lives who we've put in positions of trust in our lives. Whether that's the pastors at this church, whether it's somebody else in our family, whether it's friends that we have. But we put people in our lives who we allow to speak into our lives. And I was thinking this morning about the students at Cape and Ray and how they've, they've put themselves in a season and they've put themselves in a position where they are allowing the staff to speak into their lives. They're allowing the staff to see things and call them out, to see things and correct them. And sometimes that's met with a bit of resistance, but often it's met with a, oh yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I'll go away and think on that. But they put themselves in a position where they know there's people in their lives who are going to correct them, who are going to speak into their lives, who are going to maybe guide them, give them some direction. That's the season that they've entered. And so when, when, I, when I find myself chatting with the students, there's an openness 
to wanting to learn, to wanting to be corrected, to wanting guidance. Not always a joyfulness, but there's a willingness at least. And then I think about the church, and not just us here at, at CFM, but the wider church. And, and us as individuals and, and as adults. And I think we're often resistant to this in our own lives. I think we're often resistant to correction. We're resistant to guidance. To having someone step into our lives and go, I, I don't think that's right. I think what you're doing here isn't truth. I think what you're doing here isn't being obedient to Christ. I think as a church, we're very resistant to that. And like I say, I don't just mean particularly yours. I mean as a church in the Western world. But I wonder if we, if we become more like David. If we become somebody who, who wants to be corrected after we've got it wrong. If we, if we look at David, we see he makes some pretty shocking mistakes. He has some pretty big flaws in his own life. But what we see, he has a heart for correction. We, we know, don't we, that David has a heart after God's own heart. He wants to do what God wants him to do. And when he gets it wrong, he wants to be corrected by God. And we see this, don't we, when, when, when he has an affair and, and he has somebody killed because of this affair. We see that Nathan steps into David's life and points this out to him and says, you are wrong. And David is open for this correction. Hopefully we're not in that particular situation in our own lives. Quite so dramatically. But I wonder if in the room this morning, we would allow someone to step into our lives and say, I think what you're doing here isn't right. I wonder how we would meet with that this morning. Whether we would find resistance in that or whether we would be open to that. Whether we would take that on board and, and test it and think about it or whether we would shut down. Each of us in the room is in desperate need of a king. In our own lives. The danger that we face. Is we put ourselves on that throne. And we give ourselves the crown. Rather than Jesus. The flesh in us. Will us want to assume that position. Our pride. Our ego. Will want to take. The throne. We will try and convince ourselves. That we're the ones that's in control. That we can claim our own victories and we can please everybody. We can keep everybody in our lives happy. There's only one king who can fill that throne. There's only one head whose crown fits on. And his name is Jesus. He is the king of kings. He is the ultimate overcomer. And we need to surrender to his will in our lives. And unless we allow him to deal with the things that are broken in our lives, we will never be able to fully surrender to him. 
the things that we don't deal with, the things that we brush under the carpet, the things that we sweep aside, just become barriers to our relationship with him. And depending on what they are, they have the potential to tear down good works. They have the potential to break up families and to break up friendships. They have the potential to bring down churches and damage the image of Christ to other people. We've seen over the last 18 months, two years of various churches where this has happened. Where people's ego and people's pride have caused great damage to churches. And so I don't know where this lands for you today. I don't know where where you're sat today and what you're dealing with or what you've dealt with. Or what, what things you have hidden in your closet. But I do know that if we don't deal with them, they can cause us more harm. They can cause us more hurt. And so I would encourage you to find people in your lives who you trust. To find people in your lives who you can pray with. Who you can journey with through some of these really difficult things. But I do also know that Jesus is the king that we need in our lives. He's he's the one who promises full healing and full restoration. And as we begin to look to, to the Christmas season, as we enter Advent and as we look towards this wonderful time of year, we can be reminded of all the promises that Jesus gave us and all the ways he fulfilled those promises. And we can start to share this good news with others, others around us. And hopefully that should excite us. This morning or this week, I would encourage you to, to maybe take stock. Maybe have a look at some of the things in your life that you haven't dealt with. And maybe just start a conversation with somebody that can start the process of healing. Let me pray for us this morning and I will ask the band uh, to come back up and lead us in worship before we go. If you haven't already, let's just take a moment to pause and just to reflect on what we've heard this morning. Heavenly Father, we want to be a church that is obedient to you. We want to be a church that is real and that is open and that is honest. We don't want to present false kings and false images of who we are. Father, in my own life, I want to allow you into all the areas that, that maybe I've been resistant to. I want you to shine lights into those areas of darkness. I want you to help me start dealing with issues in my life that maybe I've ignored, that maybe I've swept under the carpet. But most of all, I I want to be obedient to you. Father, help us over this 
next few days as we begin to, to allow you to, to work in our lives. To work in our hearts and to work in our minds. As we begin to allow you to heal us. And I recognize as part of that healing process there is still pain to walk through. Lord, I also know the promise that you give us that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You will never abandon us. But you will walk through that with us. So Lord, help us to cling on to your promises this morning. Help us to start looking at things in our lives that we haven't dealt with. And help us to start surrendering them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.